book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. And, um, and we'll jump in there in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 1 in just a moment. Amen. Well, praise God, we're going to probably do more teaching tonight than preaching. You're going to probably look at quite a few different verses, but I believe the Holy Spirit's going to help us bring our hearts to attention and, and see some things more clearly than, than we've seen them before. And um, the Apostle Paul talked about, you know, his life of, of learning and the importance of remaining teachable. And while some of you... You know, we'll hear things tonight you've never heard before. Others will hear things you have heard before, but we want to continue to water those things and, and deepen those things. Look at me for a moment before we read the passage. I just want to draw your attention back to just a moment. We're not going to turn there tonight, but in Mark, the sixth chapter, we have Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth. And the Bible says that the people there were offended at him they were offended at him and we said last Sunday night that offended at him is different from being ashamed of him or being embarrassed by him Jesus certainly had a lot to say about you know those who would be you know embarrassed or ashamed of him not willing to stand up for him but being offended at him is a whole nother category and we said that an offense comes when someone says or does something directed towards you that they basically don't have place in your life to say or do. Um, a stranger correcting your children, a, an acquaintance telling you you need to lose some weight, um, a coworker just you know telling you how you ought to run your marriage or what have you. In other words, people that are basically butting into your life um, and saying things that you haven't given them place to say or doing things that you haven't given them place to do. What's not clearly stated, but we've looked at it in different Gospels, you know, Jesus read the passage out of Isaiah 61 about the Messiah and then said, today these scriptures are fulfilled before you. In other words, he was saying, I am the one that Isaiah was talking about. So notice that their offense came when Jesus presented himself as something that they didn't recognize him as being. Or we could say as someone that they didn't recognize him as being. Remember, they said, is this not you know, Joseph's son, is this not the carpenter? Did he not, you know, live here among us for 30 years? So Jesus is making a claim to be something that, that they're not willing to recognize him as being. But the other implication there is if he really is the Messiah, then that means he would now occupy a position of authority over them. So see, now we're kind of getting down to the nitty-gritty, aren't we? Now we're, we're kind of getting down to the, to the brass tacks. Um, 
you know, what's that kind of a, a smart aleck comment, who died and made you king? You ever heard that when, you know, some, that, we usually say that when somebody's trying to, you know, be bossy or, or, you know, take a position of leadership or authority that, that hasn't been given to them. They're just trying to, to basically take control and start bossing you around, telling you what to do, telling you, you know, and you're looking at them like, look, you know, you're, you're not the boss of me. Um, and we kind of say that tongue in cheek, but, you know, you're basically trying to tap their brakes a little bit. And so that was, again, the heart of or the source of their offense. Um, you know, not just because Jesus was saying he was the Messiah, but for them to give him that place was to give him a place over them and for them to take a place under him. And of course, that was where, I guess, the real offense um, was, was rooted. I want to go ahead and say this now. Um, there's lots of places that it would fit in the verses tonight, and we may repeat it a time or two. But I just really want you to begin to, to lay hold of this, all right? If, if, if we don't give him his place in our lives, then, then there's no one to give us ours. Um, he is the one that, that, that helps us find our place in life, but if we never give him that place over us, then, then there's, there's no reference point for us to use to find our place. And then perhaps we'll talk about this in greater detail next uh, Sunday, but I just want to again plant this thought, all right? You will never rise above the place you give the Lord in your life. You will never rise above the place you give Him in your life. So if you give Him a very low place, you have in, in essence set a very low bar <laughs> for yourself because you in other words, the place you give him, let me say it another way, same thing, I'm just saying it another way. The place you give him in your life will become the ceiling for your life. You'll never be able to reach beyond that. So as we give him the place that he deserves, the place of honor, the place of overriding supremacy, the, 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 the place to, to be able to speak into our lives the things that that, um, that need to be spoken into our lives. And we, we hear under him. In other words, we, we don't just consider his, his voice and his instructions to be one among many, but that his words um, carry uh, greater weight than any other word, any other instruction uh, in our lives. So again, the place that you give him becomes the ceiling for your life. And this is why people who have you know, a very low estimation, a very low, um, uh, you know, priority, if you will, for the things of God in their lives um, are, are living uh, a less than life because you, you, can't, you, you can't rise above the place that you give him. All right, let's begin. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord 
is gracious. Has, has anyone in here tasted that the Lord is gracious? What that means, tasted, that you've experienced it personally for yourself. Um, you know, I have to watch myself, I, Home and Garden TV, Food Network, and there's a show on Food Network, The Best Thing I Ever Ate. Anybody ever? I don't know, why do I do it to myself? You know, why do I do it to myself, you know? Um, but you sit there and you watch these folks describe, you know, um, the different dishes that, you know, are the best hamburger, the best donut, the this and the that, you know. And I just look over at Pam and I'm like, man, if, you know, if, if we're ever in Milwaukee, rem remind me to stop at that donut shop, right, you know. In other words, it's, it's, you know. But again, this is somebody else telling me about something um, that, uh, that I have never personally experienced or, or tasted. And he's saying that if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, that we should desire the pure milk of the Word, just like a newborn baby desires its mother's milk, we should have that same... Um, it's, in other words, when I say a natural desire, the desire that's within a baby's flesh for its mother's milk should be the same desire that's in our spirit um, for, the, for the milk of the Word of God. Um, I, I have a tendency sometimes to, to kid around with Bethany, and, and um, of course, you know, she's nursing, and, and um, I was holding Oliver the other day, and I, I don't recall right now exactly what I was eating, but I was eating something, and I said, oh, man, he loved that. You know, she's like, Dad, Dad, you know, and of course, I didn't give him any, you know. Um, because, you know, at this point, it's, it's just the breast milk. She's not wanting him anything else introduced into his system, just the pure uh, mother's milk. And so when he's saying that we should desire the sincere milk or the pure milk of the Word that we may grow thereby, um, he's, he's talking about a, a very restricted diet, if you will, um, to, to really... Uh, let the, the Word of God become a, a main source of, of nourishment and nutrition um, for us. Praise God. Um, remember, you can never satisfy the inward hunger of the heart with the outward things of the flesh. And that's a critical mistake that many, many people on our planet are making today. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So he's saying, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So, <clears throat> I didn't put that last one up there, did I? Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So, you've heard it said, it's said in different places, Old Testament and New Testament, that Jesus is the chief cornerstone but he was the stone that was rejected by the builders. The Psalm 118 says the stone rejected by the builders has become the chief cornerstone. And so we are coming to him as to a living stone. Jesus is that living stone, that, that cornerstone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So notice Jesus has been rejected by men, but he was chosen by God. And he is precious. You also, as living stones, so this is where you come into this picture. This is where you're included in this passage. You also, 
as living stones are being built up, not torn down, but built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. That word elect, again, is, is, a, is another way of saying uh, you know, specifically chosen. Chosen for a specific uh, purpose. Chosen for a specific um, uh, destiny. So, Jesus, again, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. This is speaking of Jesus. Elect precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. You know, one of the things the devil tries to tell us is that, man, you're wasting your life with all this Jesus stuff. You know, you, you, you're wasting your life going to church. You're wasting your life trying to do right. You ought to be living it up. You ought to be enjoying life. The devil tells us that there's nothing after this life. He tries to lie to us and tell us that, you know, we just need to enjoy the pleasures of sin and enjoy money and enjoy everything we can enjoy in this world. And, and um, because, you know, when it's all over, you're just going to take a dirt nap and, it's, and, and, you know, there's nothing after this. And, and, and again, he's reminding us that, that if, if we'll consider Jesus precious and if, and if we'll live our lives uh, built upon him and, and according to him, that we'll not be put to shame. We'll not be left holding the proverbial bag of life, but we will, of course, the Bible says, be amazingly re rewarded. Verse 7, therefore, to you who believe he is precious, to those who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That word disobedient there means more than disobedient. We talked about this this morning. It means those who are unwilling to be persuaded. Those who won't even give the Lord a second glance, so to speak. They've, they've made up their minds. They've already formed an opinion. And they won't let anything or anyone persuade them otherwise. Now, let's again put something else on the table here just as we move along, another thought. And that's the part where it says the stone which the builders rejected. The stone which the builders rejected. For several weeks we have, um, I don't guess specifically, um, you know, spent an entire sermon on the subject of our opinion. But we have uh, sprinkled the power of opinion and, 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 and the effect that opinion has on our attitude. And we said attitude determines how we respond to things. And, and if, if attitude is the gumbo of the soul, we said that the main ingredient of that gumbo would be the opinions that, that we have. Opinions are, are, are extremely, extremely powerful. People say things like, my opinion doesn't matter, but that's wrong. Um, your opinion does not affect the truth. Your opinion does not affect the facts, but your opinion does affect you. And so when it says that Jesus, to those who believe, is precious, to those who believe he is precious, this, that word precious literally means, I'm not making this up, has been given a place of respect, has been given a place of dignity and honor, has been, has been given a place of high esteem and, and worth and value. Um, in our lives. Though, to those who believe, he's precious. But to those who are not willing to be persuaded, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, if you notice that, that last sentence there is in um, uh, 
I think I said italics this morning. It's in quotation marks. He's quoting from the, the Old Testament. So let's talk about this for just a moment, all right? Maybe you've done this before, or maybe you've seen um, other people do this, but, uh, and I got to be honest with you, I'm, I am one of those guys, all right? And what I mean by that is we got some kind of project, you know, uh, I've been working on a fence now for 18 years, I believe. No, not really, but, but um, you, you know, you're working on some kind of project, you're trying to build something, and so you go down to Home Depot, Lowe's, Fountains, whatever, and you're going to get some, some wood, some lumber. Um, you ever seen the guys, have you ever done it yourself, where you pick up that board and you hold it up and, you, and you're looking down it and then you flip it over. I saw my mother look at my dad. Dad taught me this, right? Then you flip it over and you look, you look down it that way and then you look at the surface of it and then you flip it over and you look. In other words, what are you doing? You're trying to see if that board has any, any flaws. You're trying to see if it's got any you know, knots, if it's, if it's straight, um, if it's warped. Um, if it's got any bows or cups, you know, in it. Um, and so the idea is that, you know, you look down that one and you, and you see some flaw in it and you set it aside and you pick up, pick up the next one. And, and you keep doing that until you get the, the building materials that you believe are the best for the job that you're looking, uh, you know, to, to, to complete, to accomplish. So now notice then, the board that you examine and set aside is the board that the builder rejected. Are you seeing this? In other words, that, that's the one that I said, no, I don't want that board in my fence. I don't want to look at that knot every time I go out there and see that fence. I don't want to, uh, you know, this, this board is warped. You know, I want that fence to be as straight as possible. So I've made what? I've formed an opinion. I've made a judgment about each one of those building pieces as to whether or not I think um, it's deserving uh, to be included in my project. So when the Bible says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and by the way, there was no election. There, 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 there was no popular vote. Um, he was chosen by God as the chief cornerstone. God the Father has given him this title and this position and this assignment. It wasn't one given to him by men. So he's the chief cornerstone, whether he's precious to you or whether he's rejected by you. Either way, he's the chief cornerstone, all right? But if you'll notice, the builders rejected him. Why? After careful examination, they didn't think he was deserving enough to build a life upon. They didn't think that, that he... Uh, should be included in the project that is their life. They looked, they looked him over, you know, they, they looked at the corners, they, they looked at the edges, they looked at the shape of the stone, the size of the stone. You know, in this case, they're not trying to pick boards for a fence. They're, they're trying to select uh, stones for a foundation. And so after they looked at it carefully, they tossed it aside because in their estimation, he was not worthy. He's the stone that the builders rejected, but nonetheless, he is the chief cornerstone. Now, what we said this morning, and I appreciate those of you who were here this morning, I'd be reviewing it if, if there were folks that were here, not here. Y'all know me, I'm a reviewer, so I'm not apologizing for reviewing. But if there's a building with four corners, a rectangular or square building, it's going to have four cornerstones. 
But the most important of those four important stones is the chief corner because it's the first one selected, it's the first one that's set in place, and then every other stone finds its place, month, its place, based upon the placement of the chief cornerstone, all right? So if this is the most important, single most important item in the whole building, how much more scrutiny, how much more consideration would be given to the chief cornerstone. Are you following what I'm saying here? In other words, let's just say you gotta, you gotta select 5,000 stones for uh, uh, the foundation of, of one of these ancient buildings. Um, the ones that you're gonna give the most attention to are going to be the corners and then the first row, right? And then after that, they, they, you know, they don't have to necessarily be perfect. But the one that you want to be the most perfect is the chief corner. Because again, you're going to pull lines and measures and plumb lines off of that one stone. And so if you don't have the right chief corner, it's going to either positively or negatively impact everything else in that building because everything else in that building finds its location in the building based upon the location of the chief cornerstone. Are you hearing me tonight? Man, I just, I feel like we just need to, oh, spend some time here because this is our Lord that we're talking about. We're not talking about a fence or a building. We're talking about Him and your life and my life. Amen. And we came to Him as a living stone and now we are living stones. Amen. Stones, not static, not stationary, not, not just a rock laying on the ground. We, we are stones, but we're living, moving, breathing expressions of our Creator and, and, and His love and, and life and purpose and destiny and will and all these other things. And so it's only when we give that chief corner the place that He deserves in our lives that we have a point of reference to understand our purpose, to understand our place. So if we never give Him His place... We'll never find ours because our place is determined by His place. Your place is, de is determined by His place. If you, if you never give Him the place He deserves in your life, then there's, we're, just, we're just wandering stones. Rolling stones, I guess we could say, right? Gathering all kinds of moss. Gathering all kinds of baggage. Gathering all kinds of hurts and pains and dings and and just becoming more confused the more we tumble. All right, so to those who believe He's precious, is He precious to you tonight? But to those who are disobedient, to those who are impersuadable, to those who are not willing to be persuaded, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And at the same time, verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So there it is again. The people in Nazareth, what? They were offended by him. They were offended by him. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. We were talking about this uh, the last two Wednesday nights. But the word of God is what created this world in which we live. The, wor the word of God is that which has given us life and so to violate the Word of God to which we've all been appointed, to which we've all been given our place. In other words, this, 
This word appointed also is a placement word. It means to, to sit, to set, um, to put or to place. To set, to put or to place. So when he says that we have been appointed by the word, he's saying we've been set, put, in place, placed by that word. Let me, real quick like, and I'll get, I'll, I'll get settled in here and we'll finish, but let me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18, let me just, I'll put it up on the screen, all right? It says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You see that word set, same word um, that was translated appointed um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, same Greek word. But now God has set the members. Notice that's speaking of a deliberate, intentional placement. He didn't just say, look, just wherever you get in where you fit in, right? That's, no, 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 that's not what God said. He has a very specific, intentional place for you that He wants to set you in. Notice God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased. This is speaking of the body of Christ. But... The, the parallel is made to the human body. And um, my right index finger is placed where it is on my right hand because that's the way God appointed it. That's the way He set it. That's the way He designed it. Right? Um, if, if this finger sticking out the side of my head, it's not going to help me very much if it's not in its right place. And so we're, we're talking about, again, back to that precision, back to that order back to that deliberate and intentional uh, plan of God. If we look down 10 more verses, verse 28, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. I'm not here to teach on all that. Thank God for... Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts, healings, helps, ministrations, varieties of tongues. I just want you to see, and God has appointed these in the church. Back to the word appointed, the same meaning, again, the same word, to set, to put, to place. So God has set these in the church, He's put these in the church, He's placed these in the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, after these, after that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. So it's the same identical Greek word. Amen. All right, I think we've got time for at least one more of these. Turn, turn with me now, if you will, please, to Isaiah, the eighth chapter. Isaiah chapter eight. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? All right, I appreciate a little feedback every now and then. Just know you're out there. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So it's a long story how the information was brought to me, but the Lord answered some questions for me this afternoon, and it came by the way of some medical and psychological research. Um, sometimes in, you know, what I do and with the foundry and my national certifications and stuff, I receive different publications, and, and I'm not saying any of these folks are believers, but amen, it's, it, it, a lot of times the Lord will speak to me through these articles, and and this article is on the subject of procrastination. Procrastination. I'm sure I'm the only one, so y'all just all stretch a hand and pray for me. No, procrastination, right? And it's talking about in procrastination, it's like when we have this really important job that we need to do, a lot of people think of procrastination as an excuse for laziness. 
And in this article, it was talking about, you know, going and alphabetizing your spice drawer, you know. Um, in other words, a lot of times our procrastination comes in the form of not laziness, but, but doing something other than what we should be doing. And, um, and so, you know, some really important projects in my life that I've been procrastinating on. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you I'm dealing with it. And, and uh, I got some good accountability around me that's helping me. And, and um, this book, is, it's, there's an urgency to finish the book. Um, I'm at 34,583 words, and so we're close. We are close. There's a lot of resistance from the enemy around it. But this, what, what researchers, why this is coming out of me right now, I don't know, but I just feel like maybe somebody else needs to hear it. What researchers have proven is that procrastination is not about, a lazy, is not about laziness, but it's, it's about emotion. And a lot of times we, we procrastinate because of insecurities. We procrastinate because we're not sure that we can be successful at something that we know is, is uh, an important task or an assignment. And so we'll often go and do other things, right? Like I may not be good at finishing a book, but I can sure organize uh, the pegboard in my basement. You, you see what I'm saying? In other words, there, you, you see, in other words, so there's things that that um, it was, what, is, what is insecurity? It's just a, a designer word for fear. It all comes back to fear. And so anyway, thank God that, um, that he's helping us with that. Amen? Amen. And I, there was a reason why that jumped up in my heart. I don't know exactly what it is, but let's go to Ephesians, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 8, and we'll finish tonight. Are you with me? Praise God. All right, Isaiah 8. I'm going to read um, 11 through 15 and... Then I'm going to read the same passage to you from the message translation, and I believe the message translation is really going to shed some light for you. It says this, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And if you're like me, first time you read through it, maybe a little bit lost, that's okay. Don't, don't feel bad. We're going to, Holy Spirit's going to help us really plug into what he's saying to us here. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Remember Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Revere, respect, or could we say put in uh, the place that he deserves in our lives. Him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. So there's this idea that I say idea, that's probably not the right word. There's this truth that's revealed in Scripture that Jesus is this chief cornerstone. And our response to Him is either going to be consider Him precious, give Him the place that He deserves in our lives, and then build our lives both, listen to me now, build our lives both upon Him and according to Him. Remember, that chief cornerstone wasn't just something that you built upon but the rest of the building, we could say, was built by it, according to it. 
So Jesus, again, becomes that chief corner to those who believe and consider Him precious. He becomes that upon which we both build our lives upon and that by which our lives are built according to Him, according to His example, according to His Word, according to His purposes. And we can just go on and on with that, right? But to those who refuse to be persuaded... Thank you, Holy Spirit. Remember now, Romans 12, 3 says He's given to every person the measure of faith. See, some, some would say, well, you know, that's, that's not fair. You know, these folks don't believe. And, no, no, see, He's given them the measure of faith. The problem is not with the faith they've been given. The problem is they refuse to, be, to believe. They refuse to be persuaded. In other words, if they would just be teachable and humble and let someone who knows the Word of God begin to explain it to them, it would cause the faith that they need to lay hold of these things to rise up in their hearts. But they refuse to be persuaded. Jesus, the people in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, they had within them a measure of faith given to them by Father God, Romans 12, 3. But because their minds were shut off and they already formed an opinion. They'd already, they'd already looked down the board and, and declared it unfit um, for, for the building of their life upon. They refused to be persuaded. They, they refused to believe. And the Bible says to the one who refuses to believe, instead of building their lives upon and by this cornerstone, they stumble over it. It becomes a tripping hazard. They stumble and fall. One passage says they fall and then the stone falls on them and grinds them to powder. Another concept of it is, a concept of truth is that it becomes an obstacle through which they can't, they can't get around or can't get, get by. Back to what we said, um, the place that you give him will determine the ceiling by which you uh, can rise. In other words, if you don't give him any place in your life, then there's no one in your life to give you your genuine place. Now, I understand these verses, especially this late in the day on a, on a Sunday, but let me give them to you out of the message translation, if I could, please. So same verses out of the message translation. It says, God spoke strongly to me, grabbed me with both hands, and warned me not to go along with this people. Now see this, do you see how sometimes just a, a little different way of saying the same thing, all of a sudden, are you more engaged now than you were the first time I read verse, right? Do you, do you even have the imagery? You know, it's like, it's like a, a father bending down and, and placing his hands on, on, on both shoulders, you know, both of his son's shoulders and, and making sure, are you listening to me, son? Don't, don't go this way. Don't take this path. Don't, don't follow um, this lead that's being set by other people. Do not go along with this people, he said. Don't be like this people, always afraid somebody is plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. Oh my goodness gracious. See, we shouldn't be afraid of what the world's afraid of. We shouldn't be worried about what the world's worried about. We shouldn't be running from the things the world's running from. Amen. We're not of this world. We're in this world. We're not of this world. Some of the greatest fears people have on planet Earth, right? Things pertaining to money and finances. We shouldn't be worried about that. Our God supplies all of our needs according to His riches in glory. Amen. All this global warming and all these other things. Man, my Father created this planet. 
And the Bible clearly says this planet's groaning. It's, it's longing for the day that it receives the same kind of liberty from the curse that we've already received as sons and daughters of God. He's saying, look, there are, this, this paranoia, right? Always afraid somebody's plotting against them. Always talking about somebody's out to get me. Government's out to get me. My job, they're out to get me. Blah, 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 blah. See, again, he, he's pleading with us, don't go that way. Don't fear what they fear. Don't, don't take on their worries. He said, if you're going to worry, worry about the holy. Fear God of the angel armies. The holy can be neither, can, neither, forgive me. The holy can be either a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way. The rock standing in the willful way of both houses of Israel, a barbed wire fence preventing trespass to the citizens of Jerusalem. Many of them are going to run into that rock and get their bones broken, get tangled up in that barbed wire, and not get free of it. One of my favorite verses out of the portion of Scripture where God was dealing with the Egyptians, and this was when the plague of darkness came on the land. And yet the Bible says that the lights were on in Goshen. There's every, every one of those different plagues that came upon the Egyptians stopped at the city limits of Goshen where God's people lived. There was a force field Come on now. There was a distinct line drawn. All, again, just trying to help people see. God was saying, these are my people. I've got my hand upon them. I know this is an odd way of referring to the barbed wire. I think we ended here last week on this same point. My youth pastor, my late teens, Buddy Malloy, he told us all the time that the Word of God is not a prison to wall you in, but it's a fortress to protect you. Notice... Same word, it's just looked at different ways. Some people look at this and they see barbed wire fencing them in. Don't fence me in. Right? And so notice he says they try to run from it and they get caught in the barbed wire. <laughs> they try to run from the light and they run smack into the chief cornerstone. So the same stone that is precious for us that we're able to build upon and build according to the same stone that's precious to you is a stumbling stone to other folks it's something they keep butting heads with they keep ramming themselves into right the same barbed wire force field that's protecting us safe within 
the confines of the Word of God, other people view it as, you know, like trying to escape out of a prison, climb over the barbed wire and get out of here, right? Do you see the difference? It's the same word, it's just a different opinion and perspective on it, amen. Well, one more time, he's precious, right? To those who believe he's precious. He's not something to run from or trip over, but something to build upon and live by, amen? All right, stand with me tonight, praise God. Praise God. All right, there's another one, and we'll get to it, I don't know, next Sunday morning, next Sunday night. But in this one, it says that when Jesus comes, He'll be both the measuring line and the plummet, or we would say the plumb bob. And if you know what a plumb bob is, it's when you hang a pointed weight on a string and you hold it up like this, and it, and it gives you the straight line. Amen. And so Jesus, as that chief cornerstone in our lives, He becomes the measuring line. He becomes the plumb bob. His life and His Word becomes that which aligns our lives, that which measures the reach, if you will, of our lives. We'll get to that. I just wanted to plant that just real quick like father thank you thank you so much lord for the men and women that are here lord for those who have chosen to give you place in their lives on this sunday evening father thank you lord that this i don't know hour and 15 minutes or so that we've invested lord will will reap eternal reward and benefit lord beginning now in this life as well as in the life that is to come Thank you, Father, for helping us consider in our lives ways that we may have been offended at Jesus or by Jesus in the past. And, and Father, may we, may we repent from that kind of thinking. May we give Him that place in our lives uh, to be able to say to us the things that need to be said to us. Father, forgive us for making this world's worries our worries, for making this world's fears our fears. Father, we're not, we're not of this world. So because of that, Father, we're able to trust in you, a rock that will not be moved and a faith that will not lead to shame. As we go our separate ways, Father, may we let our light so shine before others this week that they see our good works and glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.